Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you know someone who has zero self-awareness? Do they seem to never understand your feelings? Do they have a hard time controlling or naming their own emotions? Or does any of this apply to you? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you've likely got someone in your life with low emotional intelligence and they're driving you crazy, or you yourself are struggling with the fallout from not having higher emotional intelligence and your relationships are really failing it. Today, you'll learn the components of emotional intelligence, why some people have a hard time in this area, and my top five tips for raising emotional intelligence with you, with other people, with everybody. So keep listening. I'm Dr. Abby Metcalf, and I'm a psychologist, number one Amazon bestselling author, TEDx speaker, and all-around relationship maven. With over 30 years of experience helping people create connection, joy, and ease in all their relationships. What's my secret? Well, besides being totally hilarious, I help you think differently so you can approach your relationships in a completely new way. I'm the best deal in town because the tools I teach apply to all your relationships which allows you to simplify your life and find the confidence, calm, and deep love you've been craving. Combining my hands-on experience and all the latest research, I've created actionable tips and tools you can apply quickly and easily to create lasting change in all your relationships today. So let's get to it. Welcome back to the podcast. It's so great to have you here as always. If you are watching me on YouTube, um, I'm in my very cozy sweater. It was chilly this morning. <laughs> I live in Northern California now, and it's just really never that cold. But um, so I, I finally have an excuse to wear like a, a warm, comfy sweater. And if you're watching, you'll see that I keep adding to my office. I'm finally sort of redoing since I gave my couches to my son when he went away to college in August um, and have been adding new furniture slowly. So the office is feeling a little more homey, finally. So, and I do want to, just before we jump in, my I found out from my publisher that my new book about boundaries is going to be delayed, I know, but we are still planning to move forward with the membership in February, Love Made Easy, and I am actually going to be in there doing like direct work about the book. So instead of, you know, well, maybe you'll buy the book later, but instead of that, you could join the membership and get training with me about how to make boundaries, how to do them better, all the things. Um, and there'll be lots of freebies in there and some extras from the podcast that I, you know, I'm going to be putting, I'm going to be putting a lot of me into the membership and there's going to be live Q and A's twice a month with me, with me, and then also a live teach once a month with me. So, uh, and if you are not in the membership, you'll be able to buy the teach separately, but if you're in the membership, all those things will be um, free and included. I've just, you know, for a long time, I've been looking at ways to connect with you more. Like, how can I do that? And since you write in so much with questions and 
you know, really seemed to want that time with me, um, this seemed like the best way to do it. And just to have a space where we could have a community of love and, you know, people in the same place you are really trying to make the relationships better and devoted to that. So I'm excited. Um, really looking forward to it. And uh, I'll keep talking about it here on the podcast. And we'll, if you're not on my um, email list yet, uh, which is again, my weekly love letter, which is really just that I don't do a lot. Of, I don't like sell from the, you know, it's not, it's not sleazy. As you know, I don't do things sleazy. So it's a weekly love letter meant to inspire and motivate you. You can do that on the website, abbymedcap.com. And there's a little tab that says love letter, weekly love letter. If you sign up for that, you'll not only get the weekly love letter, but once the membership comes live, there'll likely be a deal in there. Um, but also I'll be announcing it more and where you can do it and how you can do it and how to make that happen easier. So um, that's the place I would say the easiest place to make sure you don't miss out um, because I'm going to open it for the year and then that's going to be maybe it. I, I you know, it's going to take a lot of my energy and effort to really be in there the way I want to be in there. And I, I, don't feel like I can commit to that forever, but I know I could commit for a year. So, uh, you know, so you want to get in while it's there. Okay. I think that's it there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, and in the meantime, you can buy my current book, you know, my Amazon number one bestseller in relationships, be happily married, even if your partner won't do a thing. Uh, if you're, you know, looking for a way to support me. So let's get to it. Glad you're here. All right. I got a lot of questions about this as always. Thank you so much when you send in questions or it really helps me know what's going to be helpful in the podcast. It's also the work I do with my own clients. I can really, you know, when certain issues come up over and over. Um, and I think that's been a lot of the success of the podcast is that uh, I'm, you know, I work with real people. So I'm giving you real topics that come up in people's lives. All right. So why does emotional intelligence even matter? So having a higher emotional intelligence is really important because it makes it easier really, you know, to act, not react and, you know, restrain your impulses. It makes it easier to have more self-control when things are tense or difficult and not lose your shit. It makes it easier to be more optimistic and motivated, which relates in all the studies to a higher life satisfaction overall. and. You know, really many experts, and there's a lot of them believe that your emotional intelligence or your EQ is more important than your IQ in determining your overall success in life. So come on. So, so today is really important. And emotional intelligence can absolutely positively be learned. There was a huge study, which you know me, I will link to this in the show notes, all the research and all the studies. And it looked at the outcomes of kids enrolled in social and emotional learning programs in schools. And get this. So 50% of those kids who enrolled in these programs had better achievement scores. 40% had improved GPAs. And overall, this group had lower suspension rates, less disciplinary problems, and increased school attendance. It helps. And we've also done this work with adults. But um the research with adults, and we see the same things as far as less, you know, more uh longer relationships that are less rocky, you know, people being happier overall, blah, 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 staying in work longer, having more satisfying jobs. I mean, it goes on and on and on, even better health. So you really want it. So, okay. So what is EQ exactly, right? What, and why do we call it that? So emotional intelligence, which is again, often referred to as EQ, EQ just means emotional quotient. Um, that's what that means, but they're the same thing. EQ, emotional intelligence, same thing. The the term was first coined in 1990. There was a research paper by these two psychology professors, John Mayer of the University of New Hampshire and Peter, I think it's Salovey. Salovey? I, I apologize, Peter, um, from Yale. And uh, that's where the first place we really even saw anyone mentioning emotional intelligence. And Mayer, one of those uh, authors, he defined emotional intelligence as the ability to accurately perceive your own and others' emotions, to understand the signals that emotions send about relationships, and to manage your own and others' emotions. 
So I, I hope that's pretty clear. It's basically emotional intelligence. It's a skill where you can recognize and manage your own feelings while also recognizing and and really responding effectively to other people's feelings. Okay. That that's what it is. So <clears throat> and excuse me, I have a little cold. I do not have COVID, <laughs> but I do have a little cold. So excuse me if I'm <clears throat> sounding a little funky. Uh so in nineteen ninety-eight there, uh, Daniel Goleman at the time he was at Rutgers, I don't know where he is now, but he, he's the guy who put emotional intelligence on the map. He, he had a very famous Harvard business review article called what makes a leader. And since then he's published tons of books about EQ. He, uh, to me, he's kind of the figurehead of the movement, even though he didn't create it. So, and initially he identified and, you know, cause I have a business background and, uh, you know, I'm an organizational psychologist. So I studied Goldman and initially he identified these five areas of emotional intelligence for leaders, but, um, he reconfigured that in 2002 and created this sort of four quadrant model. And it's then the quadrants are divided into two halves. So, so there's four things now, right? So one half, picture a quadrant, meaning like a square that's divided into four squares, right? You know, a line down the middle and a line across, right? So four squares. So on the one half, it's focused on your own emotions. And the other half is about how to deal with other people's emotions, okay? So when we're talking about your own emotions on sort of the left side, let's say, of the quadrant, on that column, that first column, the emphasis is on self-awareness and self-management. So those are the two things. So self-awareness, right? That's your emotional self-awareness. You're being able to have an accurate self-assessment, you know, really knowing your strengths and weaknesses, your limitations and your, and what you're good at. Um, your self-confidence, recognizing how your behaviors impact others, right? Uh, also seeing how others influence your emotional state. Okay. That's all the self-awareness. Self-management that's your emotional self-control, right? Your ability to manage yourself, we, what we call emotional regulation, really. This is, you know, where you're flexible in different situations. There's a lot of, you know, you, you're transparent or honest. You're able to clearly express your ideas and feelings. You handle conflict effectively, okay? So that's all that side that's related to you. On the other side of, the, of this grid, of, right, of the other half, the other two quadrants on the let's say the right side are focused on how you how you play with others those two quadrants so there's so, uh, social awareness and relationship management so your social awareness that's your empathy you know picking up on the mood in the room being an effective listener being approachable right being approachable the relationship management that's how you influence or support other people your ability to build bonds, to collaborate, you know, it's it, it's basically how you get along with others, okay? So those four are really what, when I give you the five tips later, and I have five tips, I'm going to be hitting those, you know, to raise those, to raise your self, your uh, uh, emotional intelligence. So, so what are the signs of low emotional intelligence? Well, you can kind of work backwards from that square we just made. Basically, so the, there's five signs pr that I see mostly of low emotional intelligence. One is low self-awareness. These are, you know, fish who don't know they're wet, right? Fish who don't know they're wet. They don't, these are people who don't realize that they have feelings and that they're dry and that those feelings are driving their behavior. So they're often judgmental, uh, sort of black and white in their thinking. They say things like, uh, oh, anyone would think that or any sane person would agree and because of this sort of all or nothing thinking, they have a hard time seeing where they're wrong in situations and have a hard time truly listening. And my computer just made a noise, which hopefully you didn't hear. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the second thing I see, second sign of low emotional intelligence is insensitivity. So to me, these folks often seem like they have a sensitivity chip missing or like kind of tone deaf to what's really happening or what people are really feeling. There's a general lack of empathy. Uh, this person is likely someone who's always saying the wrong thing or kind of being inappropriate in different situations. You, yeah, you probably know this person. 
the third thing I say that I see a lot is a low frustration tolerance. So people with a low EQ or low emotional intelligence, they just get frustrated very easily. In other words, if you give them feedback, they get, they're really easily defensive. Uh, they can lash out or give, or give you the cold shoulder and withdraw at kind of little things. Like it doesn't take much often. Um, for them, you know, handling your emotions, handling their own emotions, it wears them out <laughs> quickly. They just don't have much room for this. So because they get worn out so quickly and have this low frustration tolerance, they're very quick often to point fingers or um, assign blame, all the while, you know, taking very little personal responsibility. I, when I, what I see is a lot of victim language, you know, he, well, I had to, you know, he made me do it. I had no choice. Mm, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, Abby's not down with the victim language. So I see that this results in things like these kind of emotional outbursts, maybe of rage and anger where people can't like, where they just lose their shit, they can't hold it in or crying fits or, you know, what we call emotional lability uh, in, in psychology terms, you know, this, this, uh, in this kind of up and down. Um, again, emotions are just so uncomfortable. They can't handle them. They don't know what to do. The fourth sign I see a lot of emotional, low emotional intelligence is relationship issues everywhere. These people with low E, this kind of low EQ, they generally either have, they have no intimate friendships or relationships. And what I mean by that is they don't get emotionally close. Intimacy means emotional closeness. It's not sex. So they don't have really emotionally close relationships to other people. They're not vulnerable ever. So that means that their interpersonal relationships are rocky to a point. There's a lot of judgment, blame, arguments, or or there's kind of not there's maybe blame and all that, but they're quiet about it. They're super duper, super duper avoidant. They will avoid at all costs. So so this can look like not having friends at all or having a friend group where there isn't, again, any deep connection. Um, so they could be in a relationship, but maybe not, again, with these deeper connections. And the fifth thing I see a lot is this sort of self-centeredness. I, I think people with low emotional intelligence can seem narcissistic and are often called narcissists when they're not um, because that's a very different thing and isn't as quote unquote curable as low emotional intelligence. So maybe check yourself if you've been assuming that someone, you know, is a narcissist. Um, because people with low emotional intelligence, they, they do have this sort of self-centeredness because they're so uncomfortable with other people's emotions and how they're feeling and how they're talking. So, um, they'll often talk too much or they'll take over conversations. They get defensive and angry when they're confronted or given feedback. Um, they're often tone deaf to what's kind of what's truly going on around them and, and generally have to always be right. Right. They, I see that a lot. They, there's this feeling of them. I want to say this correct. Like where they're, they seem to be missing the point in a conversation and it can feel difficult to get through to them. Um, in addition, we also see them kind of brag or you know, subtly drop hints about their accomplishments or wins, you know, these again can seem like narcissism. It's, it's often not, it's often this low emotional intelligence. They just haven't learned this skill. Okay. <laughs> so before I get into the tips, I'm going to have a sip of tea. Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> So I just want to talk about why people have low emotional intelligence, you know, why? And this, again, could be you or someone else, right? I'm kind of talking out loud like this is someone else you're dealing with, but it could be you that you're seeing yourself in some of these things. Okay. So people have low emotional intelligence. I see three main reasons why, and that's your family or, you know, your upbringing as a kid could be mental health issues or something called, uh, alexithymia. So, so the first one, you know, how you were raised, right? Uh, uh, emotional awareness is something that develops early in life. Think about it, right? Kids, kids will grow into adults with higher emotional intelligence when their parents or caregivers had higher emotional intelligence. And that generally shows up as parents who, or caregivers who talked about their own feelings 
who were able to express and regulate their own feelings, <laughs> right? They could express their feelings. They could regulate their feelings. They weren't having rage fits. You know, they weren't losing their minds. Um, these are parents who encourage their kids to identify and share their feelings. Okay. So they do that. They, these are parents who validate feelings. Um, they respond quickly to kids' needs. They, you know, basically show, they show a lot of love, support, and compassion. And, you know, I think it's easy to see how kids who grow up in families with low emotional intelligence end up not being able to manage their own emotions, <laughs> right? Since again, identifying and regulating your feelings is a skill and they just never learned it. The second thing I see, the second reason people have low EQ it are generally mental health issues of all kinds. So a common sign of, it's really a common sign of very, of a lot of different mental health issues is this difficulty managing or identifying your emotions. So, you know, it could be depression, anxiety, uh, borderline personality disorder, narcissistic, obviously, personality disorder, substance use disorder, right? To name a few. I've shared in here how when I was in rehabs, um, you know, I'm a recovering heroin addict for anyone who hasn't been listening long. And uh, when I was in any rehab I was in, one of the first things they do, they have you sit in groups and they have you before the group, they have you go around and name two emotions. Like they'll do that. They'll say name, you know, check in. You have to check in with your feelings. And I dreaded this portion all the time because I didn't have any feelings. I didn't know what feelings were. Well, I thought I didn't understand. I just didn't understand them. I had no skill with feelings whatsoever. And so I I knew, I guess, when I was mad, which I didn't show very often, so I didn't think I was mad very often. I knew when I was sad and when I was happy or high. That was pretty much it. And the rest was fine or okay. I I I, I used to, I just didn't know. And so... <laughs> You know, literally they would go around the circle and I got very good at positioning myself where I wouldn't be first um, so that I could listen to a few people first, share their emotions, and then I would steal them. <laughs> I would sit there and take notes. I was not even trying to check in with myself. I would sit and go, ooh, you know, someone would share that they were shy or or feeling, um, you know, uh, uh, calm or anxious or whatever. And I'd be like, ooh, ooh, shy, shy is good. Content is good. You know, I would literally copy. And then when it came around to me, I would use a couple that I'd heard. That's how I did it. I, that's how completely devoid I was of understanding any of this. I had very low emotional intelligence, no self-awareness. I, I mean, really, I clicked, I checked all these boxes, my friends. And so when I say you can learn emotional intelligence, I mean it. I have worked hard on this for the last, you know, 30, 40 years, and I've gotten good at it, but uh, not great. You know, no one's perfect, but I've certainly gotten much better. Um, and the alexithymia or thymia, that must be thymia. Yeah. Alexithymia is that's uh, when people have this condition, it's a condition. They have difficulty recognizing and expressing emotions. They just do. Um, it can result from childhood trauma. Uh, stroke, brain injuries, uh, autism is something we probably think of a lot with that. So that's more rare. You know, it's generally going to be some of these other things. Okay. So let's get into my five tips to deal with someone with low emotional intelligence or my five tips to raise your own emotional intelligence. I say with all the love of my heart, and I'm going to sip my tea again. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So I do not have a coughing fit doing <laughs> as I record. All right. And again, it's possible to raise emotional intelligence, but it's definitely a process and it takes some time. And in the beginning, I will tell you a lot of this feels artificial. It feels awkward. But if you give it time, practice really does make better. And I always compare it to learning to drive a shift car. And now I'm really speaking to the older folks who listen to my podcast or any car enthusiasts. Um, you know, in my day, that's that's back in the day, that's kind of all we had uh, were these, you know, what's called manual transmissions or shift transmissions on cars. And, um, uh, you know, you had to be rich to have an automatic. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, and so when you're learning to drive a shift car, there's a lot of things you have to think about. You have to press in the clutch and you're moving the thing and you take your foot off the brake and put it on the gas. And there's just this whole thing going on. And it's very artificial and awkward. It is a lot of jerky movements. It is not smooth at all in the very beginning. And you're jerking the car up a hill and God forbid you have to stop on a hill and start again. It's like I, I avoided every hill I could for like the first year I was driving, I think. But one day you're out there driving and you realize that you haven't thought about shifting. You realize that it's like, or you went up a hill without thinking about it. That's when it becomes just uh, of you. You know, it becomes um, a habit. It becomes easy. It gets ingrained. And I promise you that will happen with the feelings if you practice it. But I, I'm not going to lie. In the beginning, you might feel some of this, um, you know weirdness. Okay. So here are my top five tips. Let's get to them. Tip number one is you have to, there's ninja listening. So being a good listener is definitely at the heart of raising emotional intelligence. People with low emotional intelligence are usually, again, oblivious to other people's feelings or to what they're really saying. So the bottom line is that if you want to you know, communicate and connect, you've got to listen first. And I know you're thinking, well, they're the ones with low emotional intelligence. Well, I don't care. You have to listen first. So I I covered my five steps to great listening way back in episode 72 season. I think that's one, season one, probably. Maybe it's season two. I don't even know how many episodes are in a season. Maybe it was season two. Long time ago, episode 72. Um, but I'm going to give you the short version here and I will link in the, you know, again, always go to the website, Relationship Tips and Tools, and there's always a corresponding uh, blog post for all of the podcasts. And um, it's a great place to have, you know, notes already taken for you. Everything is there that I talk about um, in full detail. So it's a great place to go. Um, and you can go there and just click on these and get to the podcast on my website. I know that sometimes Spotify and other places, they only have episodes 100 and above. So everyone should hear that all the episodes of my podcast are on my website. So you can always go get older episodes there um, and listen back then. And I, you know, I wasn't as good at the podcast in the beginning. So please be kind if you're listening to episode four. <laughs> but um, okay. So, but I'm going to give you the short version here okay, of how to be a ninja listener, uh, these little five steps. One is you got to set the scene, good timing, no distractions, makes sense, right? That's how you listen well. You don't do it in the, on the fly or, you know, whenever, when the kids are in the room, right? Number two is check in with yourself and good, get in a good place before you start the conversation. If you're distracted and in a bad place and angry and upset, it's not going to, you're not going to listen well. I just, I don't know what else to tell you. It's not, it's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I know. Number three is to set intention. I've talked so much about setting intention. I'm again, not going to cover it right here, but you got to set intention for what's your intention for how this talk's going to go. The fourth step is to focus and notice, uh, well, you want to just notice your thoughts and feelings as they're speaking to you. So you can sort of step back um, which is step five and evaluate those thoughts and feelings before you respond. So if they're saying something and you're noticing that you're getting triggered, you don't want to respond to that, right? 
right away. You want to notice it like, Ooh, I'm feeling really upset right now. I'm getting defensive. You just want to notice that and then kind of rethink and respond. Well, they're feeling really afraid. We're having a difficult conversation. I'm the one who's been listening to Abby's podcast. I've got better, you know, tools. So I'm going to have some compassion and have my boundaries. You know, that's how you do it right in internal dialogue. So you know what I always say though, no matter what you want to listen, like you're wrong. Um, and if you, excuse me, if you notice the other person getting defensive, you've got to check how you're speaking to them. You want to own that. If they're defensive, you know, if I'm talking to a client and they're really defensive, I own that. I'm like, hmm, how am I talking to them? What am I saying that's creating this? I'm not saying I'm at fault. I'm not saying it's my fault that they're defensive. I'm saying I have responsibility in the way that we're connecting. Now it's different as a therapist, right? Because someone's paying me, I'm their psychologist, right? They're paying me to talk to me, but even when they're not, you know, like when we do the the room later, when we do the the membership later, you know, even when you're not paying me <laughs> or, you know, directly all this money, uh, even when we're just having, it doesn't matter. I just see it as, I have, I've co-created this relationship and I have responsibility here. So, and I want to get through, right? My intention is for us to connect. So I see the defensiveness as a signal that I ain't connecting. Whatever I'm doing ain't working. So let me try something else. And we know from the research that defensiveness gets worse when, uh, when we feel like the other person is responding to us in a negative way. That's when we're most defensive. So if we feel criticized, rejected, stigmatized in any way, we get more defensive, right? Yeah. But the research also shows that defensiveness is reduced when we feel secure, respected, and valued. So when you're listening, you really want to make sure, right? So that's what you want to do is make sure the other person feels respected and valued, even if you disagree with their actions or their views on something. I know. Okay. That was step tip one. Ninja listening. Tip two is to practice identifying feelings. And these are not necessarily any order. And I would say no, this is probably the one thing you got to do no matter what to raise emotional intelligence in yourself or others is practice identifying your fe feelings. Identifying feelings, it's really at the heart of it. I, I don't know what else to say. This is, this is ground zero. The problem I think for most people is that they don't know what they're feeling half the time, because they, again, haven't developed the skill, right? Which I talked about before. Again, identifying feelings in yourself and others is a skill. And with practice, you get good at it, but they, they don't have that practice or you don't have that practice. So, so we're going to do a little thing right now. I want you to stop right now as you're listening. And I want you to think about, just check in with yourself. How are you feeling right now? So really take a second out and out loud, say, how are you feeling? Hello. Hi, I'm Abby. How are you? How are you feeling right now? Did you answer into the space of your car or <laughs> wherever you might be listening to this? Okay. Here's what generally happens. When I ask someone how they're feeling, they respond with a thought, not a feeling. And you might've just done this. I don't know. I would like to think you haven't because you've been listening to me for so long and you have such good skills now, but you know, it's okay if you didn't. So you might have said out loud, I'm feeling like this is so helpful. I'm feeling like Abby is speaking directly to me today. Wow, I'm getting so much out of the podcast today. Those are wonderful thoughts, but they're not feelings. They're wonderful thoughts. I, I hope I encourage you to think wonderful thoughts about wonderful me. I, I hope you do. I can feel the love. Bring it to me. Bring it. But those aren't feelings. <laughs> Anytime you say anything like or think anything like, I feel that or I feel like, you're not actually saying a feeling. You're going to about to name a thought. So when I say, how are you feeling? The response is a feeling, mad, glad, angry, sad, overwhelmed, careful, um, happy, joyous, free, whatever, right? It's, it, that's a feeling. So, but we miss that. Okay. The other thing I find when I ask someone how they're feeling is that they respond with, I don't feel anything. Um, well, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't feel anything right now. We're always feeling something. You are always feeling something because you're always thinking something. Oh, I know. I'm just, yeah. Uh-huh. I know. Crazy, right? I was shocked when I heard this. 
<laughs> when I learned this myself many years ago, where we feel the way we think, you're always thinking something, so you're always feeling something. Right this minute, <coughs> excuse me, right this minute, like if when I check in with how I'm feeling, I, I'm feeling a little, I'm doing it right now. I notice I'm feeling a tiny bit anxious because I know I have this little bit of a cough, right? And I'm not wanting to have a coughing fit on, you know, in the episode. I also have my microphone in a new place. I have a new setup in my office for my mic and everything. And I'm a little anxious now because I can see the levels on, you know, what I'm where I'm recording. And I'm like, oh no, I don't know if this is recording loud enough. My sound guy's gonna kill me. <laughs> my my editor. Um you know, I didn't set this up correctly. So I'm feeling this whole time, I've been feeling a tiny bit anxious anytime I see that. Um, I'm also feeling very connected to you right now, even with that, because that's in the background more. What's what's really front and center, What before I start the podcast every day, every time I record, I sit and I just take a moment and I set intention for how I want the episode to go and how I want to connect with you. And I picture often that I'm standing on a stage teaching, like when I go do that, when I, you know, get paid to go speak somewhere. I picture myself doing that because I always am looking into the audience. I hate those bright lights, but I can always see some people. I can always make um, some eye contact. And that feels like everything. And I'm making eye contact with you right now. I know I sound crazy, but I am. And I feel you. I feel how much I, I feel love. As I sit here, I feel love. I feel connection. That is also here. So all of that is going on, even though if someone was to ask me in the middle of the episode, right? Well, what are you feeling? I'd be like, well, nothing. I'm doing my episode. I'm, I'm just talking. I, I'm just doing this thing. It, it's not nothing. There are things going on. It's just a case of how you know much it's happening and how, if again, if I was nervous enough or anxious enough about the microphone, let's say, I would be so distracted that I wouldn't be connecting to you, right? And so that's important because there's this little thing tugging at my brain. So I've been studiously trying not to look actually at the levels <laughs> of the sound and really just, you know, I look in the camera when I do this and just talk to you um, because I'm seeing you and that's that's sort of how I do it. And that's all feelings, right? And that's all me identifying. And it's not just, okay, fine or good, or I don't know, right? And that's actually the other thing I see. Somebody might say that. You might, if I ask how you feel, you might say, oh, okay, or fine or good. Again, this is, that's the same as saying you're feeling nothing. As far as I'm concerned, I don't consider those feelings. There are literally hundreds of feelings. I hear you gasping. <laughs> so, you know, pick one or two. It's about getting underneath to a more nuanced feeling, right? I feel content, satisfied, uh, replete, joyful, calm, peaceful, serene, curious, open, willing. You, right? I, I know it's crazy. I could go on, but I think you, I think you're getting the idea. <laughs> so, I no matter what, and I want you to just to remember what I say all the time that we connect with feelings, not thoughts. So when you get to those feelings for yourself and help the other person do the same you're raising both of your emotional intelligences. So asking your partner or someone else often how they're feeling and make sure they answer with a feeling, not a thought, is a way to help someone else raise their emotional intelligence. And people might get frustrated with you. Oh, I don't know. You keep asking that. Just, you know, be loving and compassionate. I know. Humor me, please. We're doing this thing together. <laughs> and again, share your own, identify your own, help them, do it in conversations, if you're really stuck, use a scale of one to six. Uh, that's my other favorite. And if someone has super low emotional intelligence, or if you do, uh, a one to six scale is great, where you um, would say like, on a scale of one to six, how anxious are you feeling right now? And you have them just check in. Six is super anxious, one is not anxious at all. And the reason a one to six scale is great, so first of all, you're kind of naming the feeling, you're helping someone see that they might have some anxiety. and with one to six, you have to pick on one side or the other. If you give somebody a one to five, they're going to pick a three every time. And that's just, or, or, you know what I mean? It's not helpful. It's like hearing nothing. But if you pick one to six, you know, four, five, six makes you know they're on that side of the scale. One, two, three makes you know they're, they have to choose. 
you know, the three or the four. And that does help you a little bit. And again, and then you can explore more if they say, if you say, because they're acting really anxious and you ask that, like on a scale of one to six, how anxious are you? And they say, oh, zero, I'm not anxious at all. You know, I'm not even on the scale. And you can then say, well, okay, then what are you feeling right now? Because, you know, it, it does, I do feel something. I just can't figure, I thought it was anxiety. So obviously it's not, even though you might be thinking it is, but don't go there. Listen like you're wrong. What is going on? You might be surprised at what people say. It, so try not to think you're so right about how they're feeling. I know. So, and it's going to help as you keep talking about your own feelings because this other person with this low EQ is going to consistently see when you're feeling hurt, when they speak to you a certain way, or, you know, they can start to have their own aha moments and change their behavior as opposed to you kind of telling them, right? Uh, they might actually start to see that their own feelings drive their own behavior. This is how you make the connections, but you have to start where you are. You know, you can't play tennis like, you know, Serena Williams first day on the court. It's just not going to happen. So you, you have to have some patience and some compassion in the process for yourself and the other person. But eventually, you know, you'll get there. Okay. Tip number three, we're halfway through, is taking responsibility. People with low emotional intelligence generally don't take responsibility for how they're feeling, uh, their subsequent actions. They also don't see how their behavior affects you and how you're feeling. And again, they're not responsible for how you feel. That's your choice in there. It, but it's always important to understand that actions can have consequences. Um, that's all, right? That it, it's it, that's the connection. So the next step is to help them take responsibility for the way your dialogues happen, and you do that by you also taking responsibility for the way your dialogues happen. So you might just start with, "Hey, you know, we had this thing yesterday. We both walked away, you know, not feeling good. Here's here's my part of that. I want to talk about our different responsibilities and what happened yesterday. So we." So we can move the conversation forward going forward, right? <clears throat> so we can be different next time or now. So here's what I think my responsibility is in the conversation, going the way it's going. And then you can gently and lovingly ask them, you know, what do you think your part is in what happened yesterday, right? And I just remind people, you know, we both have responsibility and that we have co-created this relationship together, right? So what are we going to create next? What changes will each of us make next to move things forward? How's that feel? I know. Tip number four is to raise your self-awareness. The biggie with all of this is, of course, being more self-aware. I've already covered ways to be more self-aware way back again in season, I think, one of the podcasts. And I've done it a few, a few of these. I will link to them on the Relationship Tips and Tools page. It's also on the podcast show notes page, but I will link to these other podcasts. But you can just put self-awareness in the search engine in my, uh, on, my, on my website and you will, they will all come up. I've done a bunch, so I don't want to sit here for a long time now. But if you want to be more self-aware, you know what I'm going to say. You know it. If you've been listening to me, you know I'm going to say mindfulness. If you, <laughs> if you haven't already, the best way to get started on that is to download my free mindfulness starter kit. And then you would follow that closely by my free meditation starter kit because meditation is one of the quickest ways to be mindful. Yes, it is. Meditation will absolutely positively help you with your emotional regulation which will help your emotional awareness, which will help you self-regulate, which will help you act, not react. I mean, I could go on and on. There, It's so much bang for your buck. You don't get it right away. I know it's hard sometimes to see the connection, but it's there. We have tons of research on it. And again, I did a whole episode on meditation and all that good research. So, but you know, and or you can start to meditate together. Maybe you could tell this other person like, hey, why don't we meditate together for a few minutes? You can do Insight Timer or, you know, Calm or any of the apps together. You could get my meditation album. I have a, a little course, how to learn how to meditate for 15 minutes in just 15 days. You can download that on the website. You can do other stuff. I mean, whatever gets you there is what I would like you to do. Okay. So go go listen about self-awareness and all the tips. I laid them out so nicely, but 
but mindfulness, if you do nothing else, is your way to go. And then tip number five is you've got to work on your empathy. Empathy in any relationship is the key to connection and communication. And I, again, did a really good episode on empathy where I went deep and there's so much good information there. Again, I'll link, or you can search empathy on the website. But I'll say this. What usually happens is that someone is sharing something that upset them, but it's not something that would upset you. So it's hard to find the compassion or the patience or the empathy for what they're experiencing. And that's because you're, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing when you do that. Instead of focusing on the situation and putting yourself in that situation, I want you to focus on the feeling and think of a time you've had that feeling. That's empathy. So for example, you're, I think I gave this example in the, um, in the empathy uh, <laughs> episode. If you're, let's say your partner expresses that they feel humiliated and upset because they messed up a big presentation at work, okay? Boss was there, they messed it up. You don't have a job where you make presentations and you find speaking in front of other people really easy anyway. It's your, it's your best thing, public speaking. So you might feel like you can't empathize even though you've identified the feelings they've had, right? You know the feelings, humiliated, upset, but you find it hard to have empathy because you, you feel like they should just get over it. It's not that big a deal. You're making too big a deal of it, right? I know. So instead of trying to put yourself in that situation, that's the problem when people say put yourself in their shoes. It's putting yourself in their emotional shoes, not their physical shoes. So you want to think of a time you felt humiliated or upset right? You want to ask yourself, when have I felt something like what they're describing? You want to recall that painful feeling, not a similar event. <clears throat> and now you can empathize. Now you can feel the feeling. So it's not about how you would feel in a similar situation. It's about being in their emotional shoes and feeling what they felt in their situation. That is what always gets, people always get twisted about empathy. You're, you're going to take on this painful emotion so that you know, your partner or this other person you're talking to doesn't have to go through this alone. That's empathy. And helping others, you can do the same if you feel like the other person doesn't have empathy. You can say, this thing happened, I feel this way. And they can say, I don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. And you can say, have you really never, ever felt embarrassed? Like ever in your whole life? And they're going to say, well, well, yeah, I guess so. And you're like, can you, can you recall a time right now? Just give me one. When were you embarrassed? And that is how you get there. You, you draw through that conversation. And then you say what I just said, like, yeah, I get that you don't see yourself in this situation, but you certainly know my feeling. And that's what I'm asking you to support. I'm asking you to support my feeling, not how I acted in the situation, not what I did or not what I said or how I thought. I'm asking you to support my feelings, that I have the right to feel this way because just like you have the right to feel the way you feel. Okay, and that is my top five tips. And that is a lot of information on emotional intelligence. I hope you really got a lot out of today's broadcast. If you love the podcast, the best way to support me, please support me. I support you, I love you, please support back. The best way, you know, you could buy my book, you could buy something on the website, or you could just, if you don't have money, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or rate the podcast on Spotify or subscribe to my YouTube channel, like the video. These are ways you can support me without spending a penny. And it would mean so, so much to me. It really does. I, you know, I, I, I read every review. I see what you say, which fills my heart, by the way. Um, and it really means a lot as, you know, it just helps me, uh, grow and reach more people when you like my stuff and subscribe and do all the things. So that is your way to support me. Um, I hope you feel really supported today with everything I shared. You know, I love, love, love our time together. I am sending you just such a big hug right now. I feel you, I see you, and I hope you have an amazing week. I'll talk to you real soon. Thank you for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with wonderful me, Dr. Abby Metcalf. And I've got two quick things to say. Just give me one more minute. 
first, I love spending this time with you and I work hard to make sure every single episode is going to help you move from any feelings of frustration or resentment or anxiety to that connected, hopeful, confident. That's always my goal. So if you have any ideas for a future episode or just want to say hi, let me know what the podcast is doing for you, anything, you can email me at abby at abbymedcap.com. How simple is that? And the second thing I want to say is if you like the podcast, you're going to go crazy, crazy for my book. My book is really good. I'm really proud of it. You can find it on Amazon or on my website under the shop section on my website at abbymetcalf.com. It's called Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. And even if your partner will do a thing, the book will still really help you. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.